Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. When I first got started in the radio business in 2011, thanks to Dugan Ryan, my good friend Dugan Ryan, on 1450 AM in Louisville, I was hosting a weekend show called The Weekend Sports Buzz, and I was on the air every Sunday morning. And uh, through multiple different co-hosts, Carlo Kellum, Steve Driver, um, let's see here. Really, Carlo was on the knockout hour with me a lot. But anyways, on Sunday mornings, we would always cover the boxing matches from the night before. So I was always inspired into the world of journalism, in large part because I was intrigued by boxing journalists specifically. Uh, Max Kellerman, Uh, You know, guys like Larry Merchant, things like that were always very intriguing to me. So although the Kelly Patrick show does not always focus on boxing, in a way, I I did kind of get my start with all this in the world of boxing. Radio Raheem, actually, if you Google, if you do a, a YouTube search for Radio Raheem and Kelly Patrick, you can find some footage of me doing some uh, computer television shows or whatever you would call them, video shows. And, and so that was some knockout hour action from, I don't know, maybe 2012 or 13, something along those lines. But I've interviewed some boxers over the years, and I'm always wanting to interview more. So today's episode, I was able to land Devin Alexander. Devin is a former three-time world champion in the world of professional boxing from St. Louis, has a very inspirational story, and I, I found him to be intriguing through our interview today, but also in, in times I've heard him speak in the past, he always just comes across as being very authentic and honest, and I do appreciate that. So I, I, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you're a fan of The Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Courtesy of the Louisville Combat Academy Roadcaster line, we are going to head to Devin Alexander, former world champion in the world of professional boxing. Devin, how are you today? How's it going, Patrick, my man? Thanks for having me. 
Really appreciate you coming on. You are, of course, a name in the world of boxing that's very familiar for people who have followed the sport for some time. You have, uh, of course, like I said during the intro, you are a former professional um, world champion, which is a substantial statement. Uh, Devin, before I jump into some of the, the questions I had for you, how have you been lately? Uh, what's going on in your life right now, Devin? Are you training? Do you plan on fighting again? Oh, I've been I've been great, man. I'm blessed. Um, uh, anytime somebody asks me that question, have I, how have I been? I, I tell them, man, I am blessed beyond measures because I was a kid who grew up with nothing. So uh, I made a way for myself with through hard work and uh, consistency, man. And I I have no complaints over here. No complaints. I got a beautiful family. Um, beautiful wife, beautiful kids. And man, just life is good. Life is great. Um, I am, uh, I go speak to a lot of kids, try to inspire kids to do uh, some positive things around the neighborhood, uh, positive, be a positive role model to them. And, and, and just be uh, just an all around good person, man. That's all. And, you know, I'm simple. A lot of, a lot of people don't know, or a lot of people don't know, know uh, a lot of personal things about me but i'm simple i'm a simple guy uh i don't do too much i'm not crazy wild but i but i i, I do love helping and i love to um inspire so well, that that's that's about it you know just trying to inspire as much as i can and you are in missouri yes i am yes i am so pretty much you were born in st louis i'm looking at it back in 1987 and although you've traveled all across the world of course you've yes. basically maintained that as your home uh the entire yes. time your entire life yes yes i have a lot and it's funny you know a lot of people ask me say man you need to leave that dump you know and of course i don't live where i used to live of course but uh, to me, uh, a lot of kids want like to see me. They liked for me to come speak and talk. So they like they like to be on. And and, and I wouldn't want to leave them um, just because I've made it. Just because I made a, a few pennies, I'll leave them and say, "You you guys don't need no help. Go feed for yourself." I I'll feel bad to do that. So that's why I'm still here trying to help the kids. Now, you grew up in the Hyde Park neighborhood in North St. Louis. Is that right? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Actually, I'm about to do, actually, I'm going to do another second giveaway down there. My second giveaway uh, is going to be a Hyde Park. So I'm in the midst of putting that together right now. Uh, yes, I grew up in Hyde Park area, uh, high crime area. Uh, but nonetheless is where I started. So for those of our listeners who are not as familiar with your backstory, you grew up in a rough part of uh, North St. Louis and you got into boxing. How did that come about? What other sports did you play when you were a kid? What brought you into a boxing gym? Oh man, it's a good, good question. Uh, well, my coach at the time, he knew that, uh, well, he saw early that kids needed something to do outside of just going home and just not doing anything. They need to stay busy. Because as you know, and I know, uh, a kid that's not doing anything tend to get into things and tend to do things they ain't got no business doing. So uh, he decided to, he was a police officer at my elementary school. Uh, He had flyers or whatever. He said, 
you guys want to box, come on to the gym and, and try out. Um, around that time, my mom was a strict, strict parent, strict mom. Uh, she didn't let us do too much. I got, I had, I come from a big family, uh, eight sisters, four brothers, five including me. Uh, so I come from a big, but my mom's strict. So when I brought the flyer home to her, she didn't let me go at first. She let my she let my older brothers go, but she she would not let me go for anything in the world. And eventually, she said yes. And then I went, and I fell in love with it ever since. Now you mentioned your older brothers got to go and yeah. got to participate in boxing. Uh, before you did they pursue careers also in inside the 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 ring yes yes they did uh actually my my big brother is still pro right now yes yeah okay so three three of you yes it it was three of us that started boxing my oldest uh the one that's the oldest of of the three that box he's not fighting anymore he's a family man uh but the one on in this in the middle middle of us which is Vaughn Alexander He's still fighting. Okay. So you you, you, yes. you got into a boxing gym. It sounds like maybe while you were in elementary school, it was kind of the, the police officer for the school uh, kind of recruited you into it. You went into the gym. And what was your first experience inside a boxing gym? I, I was excited, man, because it was just something, to, something different that I didn't know about. It was something that I didn't know I needed um, at the time. So I was excited. I was excited to um, be in there. Um, uh, my coach said I was just smiling from ear to ear. Uh, I was. I, I loved the sound of the bag hitting the bag, the sound of the bag hitting it, uh, the speed bag, the sound of the speed bag sound, uh, just all of it. He just said I was just cheesing from ear to ear when I first came, and and I, and I love training. So. Uh, it was, it was a, a, a hell of an experience when I first went. Now, according to Wikipedia, your amateur record was 310. Is that about right? That's, 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 uh, give or take. Yes. But that's, that's the number that is around. It could be, could be more, it could be less, but that, that's the logistics of it. I had a, a stellar amateur career. Stellar. Um, of course, I'm familiar with your career from the professional ranks, not so much mm-hmm. uh, when you were an amateur. Did you face off against any significant uh, boxers when you were an amateur? You have any, like, maybe a rival? Even if it's not someone that we've heard of, you know, a, a big name would yeah. be cool. But even if you have a rival that would be worthy of mentioning, maybe someone I haven't heard of. Uh, anyone like okay, that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's um, uh, Brandon Rios. Uh, we grew up together. Uh, we, we, we stayed at tournaments together. Uh, Brandon Rios, Victor Ortiz, um, uh, Andre Ward. Uh, those are all my teammates. Um, Andre Berto, uh, a few other guys that, uh, I grew up with, uh, Charles Hadley. I fought him in the amateurs. Uh, Daniel Jacobs. Uh, I beat him in the Junior Olympics. Um, uh, I, I beat a lot of the, the some of the stars that you see today. I beat I beat a lot of them. Uh, but uh, yeah, those are some of the names that I can remember off the top of my head. Uh, we used to go to tournaments together, uh, uh, go overseas together, and and and, and enjoy ourselves. It, it, my my amateur experience was was an amazing time for me as well. Uh, 
I made it to the Olympic trial finals, but I lost to uh, Rock Allen. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Rock or if you know Rock Allen. Uh, I don't think he was so, to be honest. No, he, 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 he was a decorated amateur. Um, I thought I won. Um, it was computer scoring, of course. And what happened, what, what they did was at the end of the fight, they said it was 16-16. And they had to go to the punch tally, which they saying he threw one more punch to me. Which, you know, he was the favorite to go because he was a little older than I was. I was 17. I was fresh in amateurs. I, I beat a lot of top amateurs that they thought was going to make it to the Olympics. And, you know, it was, it was a, I think, in my opinion, it was a little bit of politics to play because they wanted to save me for the 2008 Olympics. And they wanted to take Rock Allen, being he was the most, most experienced. And I think that played a part in them giving him the nod when we fought. But all in all, um, it was a hell of an experience making it to the Olympic trials. Now, Devin, my interview style is to bounce all over the place, so I apologize for okay. that. Uh, no, no, no. Go, go for it. I attend a couple boxing classes a week at a gym. Shout out to House of Warrior here in Louisville, Kentucky. And a couple of the younger guys, I think they're both 17 years old. We got Chico and we got Jeremiah. Anthony Gonzalez, Jeremiah Poole. So in particular, I guess Oscar and Casey, we got a few. If you have any advice you could give to a young amateur fighter, maybe someone who's 17 and will be going into the, you know, eligibility, 18 years of age, to possibly mm. go pro at some point, what would your recommendation be? Would it be to stay in the amateur ranks as long as you can? Or what type of advice would you have for anyone in those shoes? Hmm. So I get this question a lot as well from amateurs to a lot of St. Louis fighters here. One thing, one thing I can tell you is they have amateur boxing for a reason. So get you the experience, get as much ex amateur experience as possible. Get as much as you can. You ain't got to stay forever, but get as much as you can because that's like building a foundation. The foundation for, uh, you know, what you want to do uh, in the future. Because if you got a good name in amateurs, then the big promoters going to be start to look at you. They're going to start scouting for you. Uh, your name is going to be ringing, ringing in the in the boxing world because boxing world is very small, and everybody knows who's the next hottest fighter out there. Everybody. So uh, get you some amateur experience, and once you do that, think about turning pro. But I tell every fighter. And it's a lot of fighters here in St. Louis that turn pro for money. I said, never turn pro for money, ever. I said, if you turn pro for money, you will become an opponent. Why I say that is because if you are turning pro for money and you get into a tough fight, well, you only turn pro for money. So you're not going to have that dog in you to say, okay, I need to pipe down. This is, this is a tougher fight than I thought. Let me type down, pipe down and get through this win and grit it out. You're not going to have that because what you did, you already told yourself, I need money. I don't care nothing about the accolades. I don't care nothing about winning. I turn pro for money. And I think that's the wrong attitude. Any amateur out there thinking about turning pro, turn pro to be one of the best out there. That means you can care less how much you're getting paid because in boxing, we all know if you're winning, that means you're going to get paid. The money's going to be there. You don't have to worry about money. That's something you don't have to worry about. Money's going to be there regardless of anything. As long as you're winning, you're going to get paid. So 
um, to any amateur, don't ever turn pro for money. And I see a lot of a lot of fighters from St. Louis become B and C level fighters, get ten losses. I see, and you know, I see them two years later, and they they record is two and ten and two and fifteen. And, and I told them, you know, I tell them over and over. I said, don't don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You know, because you're not ready. You're not doing it for the right reason. So that's the that that's what I would tell any amateur is never turn pro for money ever. I heard an interview with you before where you said Lucas Matisse. I be, I believe I heard you say Lucas Matisse was your most difficult opponent. Is that still accurate today? Uh, yes, that's it's still accurate. Uh, you know, uh, he was a tough, 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 tough competitor. Uh, kept coming. Uh, I think he he made it hit me with the hardest body shot that I ever felt. Um, uh, but I was, I was tough my damn self. So I was determined to get through the fight in my hometown. I was in my hometown. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't not reach the, reach the, uh, uh, pedestal in my hometown. So I had to get through the fight, you know, and that was around a time too, that I was struggling to make one for you. That fight, when I tell you, I had a half a pound to lose that fight. And when I tell you I can train all day and that pound would seem like it would not go nowhere. It would not go. That's how dry I was. That's how much uh much water I lost, everything. I was drained that fight. And I cannot make it but I but I eventually made it of course. But uh, that was around the time I was having difficulty making one forty. And then you got this guy across the ring from me ready that's coming. Ready to tear your head off. So yeah. So so yes, he was he was still the toughest, one of my toughest. Now, for someone like myself, I don't know of course as much about boxing as you do, but looking right. at your across your record, uh, a couple of the names for your wins that stand out to me would be of course Lucas Matisse, also Marcos Maidana. Who else am I uh-huh. do you agree maybe those are two of your biggest wins? And am I leaving uh, anyone else out? Who else at, deserves at to be t- mentioned? At the time, Durango was maybe uh, the, uh, a bigger name because he just had fought uh, Randall Bailey, uh, and he fought a couple of other bigger names. That and people had me as the underdog in that fight, so I, it was a big shocker for me to be able to. And then at that time, I I, I stopped him. You know, I, I knocked him out. So nobody expected that. Nobody. So that was a huge, huge. Uh, win for me, uh, uh, but like you said, Lucas Matisse, uh, Katelnik was a huge uh, uh, draw as well. Uh, he was big around that time because I think he just had fought Junior Witter and another other fighter. So it just depends on how you look at it. But uh, I had some amazing wins. Okay, and what is your description of the the entirety of the situation with your fight? Your first loss of your career, of course, was. Somewhat controversial against Bradley. Tim Bradley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was your description of that that fight? Bucket, bucket head, call him bucket head. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, me, and my, me, everybody, everybody known Timothy Bradley as one of those fighters that likes to rough you up in there, who who leads with his head. So he got three, three, three weapons. He got two fists in his head that he uses, of course, and we knew that coming in. But to actually feel the dome on him, it was some different, you know. 
And what happened was when he headbutted me the last time, I felt my eye was about to split. Like he headbutted me, and I think he was doing it on purpose too, but who knows? And I couldn't see in my right eye. So that that that's what happened in that fight. Do you think it was accentuated or made worse because of the South Paul versus Orthodox matchup? Does that make a headbutter? They they, they usually happen. Okay. Yep, they usually happen, especially that type of fighter. You know, like um, I, him and Sean Porter remind me so much alike. So so much alike. You know, uh, uh, Sean Porter more subtle um, with the headbutting. Yeah, yeah, in his uh, his head attack. So, but but Bradley, he just coming. He coming in and do what he got to do. He don't care if you head but or not. I actually had three cuts in that fight too, and, and that was my first cut. Okay. Now I know, like Bernard Hopkins, of course, is kind of somewhat famous for headbutting too, right? Yes, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Mike Tyson said that's why he bit. He ran to Holyfield because of that headbutt. You know, so some fighters know how to do their head button. And, and, you know, in boxing, people don't understand. Right here in the this eye bone right here, there's no there's no meat or anything like that. So that's why it cuts open so easy. Because, you know, the bone is right here. And so you got a little bit of skin. And you can just imagine just touching it with your head. It just splits it right open in two. You know, it. It doesn't take that much force. So um, a, lot of, a lot of people know how to use that head. Now, Devin, based on my understanding, I think it was in 2012, you had a sur- uh-huh. you had a surgery. I think it was on your sinuses, right? Yes, yes. Well, actually, can I ask, was it like uh, sinusitis surgery? You were having sinus infections? or Why, why did you have uh, that surgery? No, no. Actually, um, so what happened was, and this is around the time I was fighting uh, Marcos Medina. Uh, and he, uh, my sparring partner, my sparring partner, he he headbutted me. And my nose was so, well, it was looking so abnormal. So I brushed it off. I just said, he headbutted me. We good. Put some ice on it, whatever. So after about a few days, I got the experience in, like, deep congestion. Like, like I cannot breathe, and the only way I will be able to breathe is if I use nose spray. So I stayed on that. That worked, and I just made sure I kept it with me. I had to fight one of the biggest fights in my career. I had to fight Marco Medina. So, and then this happened around about three weeks before the fight, so I, nothing I can do about it. But I iced it up, and so I beat Mark on the diner with practically, I, I thought my nose was broke because of how big it was on that side. Um, so I told my coach, I said, man, I'm got, I got to go to the doctor because I don't know what's wrong with my nose, but it is not right at all. So I went to the e- ENT doctor, uh, ear, nose, and throat doctor. And so so he told me that, and and I thought it was kind of fishy when, when I went to the doctor. He didn't even look in my nose. He looked at my nose a little bit and said, "Oh yeah, that's broke. You gotta have to, you gotta have surgery. That that nose is broke, and we're gonna have to fix that." So when he actually got in there, and when I actually had the surgery, he found out it was just a blood clot that was big on the right on the left side of my nose. It was big. So got thankfully he got the blood clot out. Shattered. It wasn't broke. Whatever. 
And of course, you know that they prescribe you pain, pain medication and all that stuff. And you mean me, no, and I know you don't know me, but I was a clean cut kid. I never drank, never smoked, never did any type of drugs, uh, just a clean body kid. And what they did was they prescribed me some strong medication. And um, what happened was I could find myself taking it when I didn't need it. And, you know, around that time, that was the start of my, all my problems, all of my problems. So was it maybe like um, Percocet or hydrocodone or something like that? Yeah, it was, it, they, it started off with, uh, yeah, it started off with uh, hydrocodone and that's what they prescribed me, of course. And um, I blame the doctors kind of too, because I wish they would have told me how strong and addictive this stuff could be. They knew I was I was a fighter. They knew I was a clean cut kid that didn't do anything, do drugs or whatever. I was. So I wish they would have just explained to me what the hell are they giving me, you know? And um, you know, like I, like I said, after about a month, my doctors just I call, they give it to me. I call, they give it to me. I call which is ridiculous, which is ridiculous. And, you know, that was the start of my whole battle with that. So for how many years did you take the, the painkillers? Two, two, two years. Two years uh, I was going through that. And and when I tell you, it was probably one of the worst times of my life because, you know, uh, I could just see myself. I actually saw myself being stupid. Like, I'm like, you, of course, you, you just know, like, man, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Every time, every time I think about or or take take something, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Dumb, you, you stop. stop. I, you can just see yourself being stupid. But somehow it got me. It, it got me. It got a hold of me. And. You know, I was one of those people that said, man, why Why would anybody uh, take anything that's going to alter your personality or have you zombied out or have you, you know, nodding? Why would anybody? I was one of those people that asked that question and didn't understand. But I understood now. I've been on that. Now that I went through it, I've been on the other side and I get it and I understand and I'm less judgmental to those type of people um, because when you're in it, you don't care. You you don't care. It's uh, it's like my career, you know. You don't care. You ask, nothing matters. Nothing else matters but you. It's it's it makes you selfish, you know. And it, it it's a it's a tragedy, man. That you know. It, it's an epidemic I hear of that type of stuff, man. And I hate that, you know, a lot of people fall a victim. I'm thank, I thank God that I was able to be strong enough. You know, I had my wife and I had my family, of course. I was strong enough to say, nope, that's enough for me. I ain't doing it. I ain't, I ain't going out like that. Let me go. And so after my after I fought Aaron Martinez, I said, I need to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. I, I you know, I cannot keep keep doing that. I cannot keep doing this. I got so told my wife, told my coach, you know, and you know, we started the healing process and 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 we began a journey back to, you know, normality, man, because 
you know, that, that's a dark, that's a dark place for people, you know. And to this day, to this day, you know, I got people asking me, how, how did you do that? How did you stop? How? Tell me, tell me, give me the, give me the formula, please. Give me, tell me, because I get what they're saying, because it is hard. And the withdrawals are worse than taking it. Like it's, it's 10, like 20 times worse than, and I get it. I get it. Why, man, if, if somebody even try to stop and they start to feel that, man, they going so far back, backwards, man, because they don't want to, they don't want to feel it. They're like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. But it just takes, it just takes a family, man, a family uh, strength and wanting to do it. See me, I had my career. I had my career. I had uh, uh, millions of dollars to make. And on top of that, I had my wife and my kids to live for. So uh, it was a no-brainer for me. It was a no-brainer. So it looks to me, Devin, like from late 2012 through probably late 2015 or some somewhere around that, you were taking some form of painkillers, was it most days? Like what about, I know the training camps were impacted, but were you taking yeah. painkillers the day of your fight against Amir Khan or against Sean Porter? Were yeah. you actually taking I, I, them those I can, days? I can, honestly, I can honestly say I was. Yes, I, I was. I can honestly say those those was like, like I don't even remember what I what my coach was saying in the, in the corner. Like I, I don't even remember that. I I. I I can care less what he was saying. Like that, that, it was just such a blur. Like I didn't even know what he said. Yeah. So, yeah. Around that time is is was the height of it for sure. Now for sure. When what what is the last fight where you truly felt? Because I know conditioning ended up being an issue for uh -huh. you, which makes sense. I mean, you, for sure, you're recovering from drug addiction and trying sure. to do a training camp and stuff. That probably yep. doesn't go like real well. What's the last fight? Before your addiction took over, where you felt a hundred percent. Before that, uh, Medina, Marcos Medina, it, it was that, that was the fight where I was I was on, like just on point, zoned in, saw every punch they threw. He and a lot of people ask me, how hard do Marcos Medina hit? How the hell I posted up? I wasn't trying to get hit with it. I wasn't. I wasn't finna let him touch me with it. Cause that's how much I was so focused, so zoned in. I don't know. Don't even you can't even ask me that because I don't know. I wouldn't. I was just on point that night, so I, I wouldn't know. So Marcos Madonna has had. I know he's you know had some ups and downs, but I mean, what do you think of his performance? His first fight against Floyd. What do you think of that? He beat him. He, he definitely beat Floyd that, that uh, first fight. That if not beat him, it, it was it could have been it. A draw would have sufficed too as well because that was a close fight. That was a close fight. He shot. He shocked Floyd, and a lot of people, a lot of people too, saw what I did to Marcos Medina, and they took it for granted. They they thought they thought they was gonna be able to do the same thing, and they don't understand that I took that dude serious. I I I wasn't finna get hit with none of that. So a lot of a lot of a lot of people that fought. Marcos Medina took him for granted. Took him. He was tough. He's a tough Argentinian. Tough. And if you won fully, fully prepared, you was gonna lose. That's why the second fight that they had was 
wasn't even close because he was he was more zoned in and focused. But the first fight, he definitely if they gave it to Marcos Medina when nobody had been mad. If it was a draw when nobody had been mad. Is Floyd Mayweather the greatest boxer of our lifetime? Of our life, you're 36, I'm 39. So is that safe to say? Maybe our lifetime. Like uh, when you say our lifetime, you mean in like uh, generation type of deal? Sure. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. If you if you if you're trying to compare accolades and what what I can see that you know I can see that uh, because going going. 20 years and not being beaten is hard task to do, you know, but I tell everybody one thing about Floyd, Floyd didn't fight 50 killers. Like back in the day, back in the day, everybody fought everybody. They weren't ducking nobody. Floyd did not fight 50 killers. He did not fight 50 killers, but he fought people at the right moment, the right time. And you can't blame him for that because good management, good matchmaking, et cetera. But if you're talking about the totality and truthfulness, he didn't fight 50 killers. He didn't, he did not fight 50 killers. But, you know, for as, you know, what he done and able to, to keep that at that level, you know, be at that level for that long, yes. In your opinion, who else deserves to be mentioned in that conversation? If he's maybe the best of this generation, who's number two? Uh, or who, who's right up there with him? I, I can say Pac-Man. I can say Pac-Man. I can say uh, Kodo. I can say, uh, uh, who else can I say? Uh, Shane Mosley. You know, uh, you know, you know, talking about great is more than just, box. for me, it's more than just boxing. It's, it's what you do outside and, you know, how, how big of an impact are you making on the kids? How big of an impact you're making on the world itself, or you're making the world a better place, et cetera. That that that's the type of person that I, I look at and try to measure being great about. You know, so um, before skill wise, you know, it's it's a few uh, people that you can name to say they deserve to say they wanted a great. Okay. Now, like I said, I bounce around from topic to topic. One of the controversial topics um, that has taken place at least or got some attention for you was in 2000, uh-huh. 2015, there was, I think it was maybe a Supreme Court ruling. Uh, yep, legal- Supreme Court. Yep. Yep. Legalized gay marriage. You had some tweets. They got some criticism. Uh, you mm-hmm. voiced your opinion about that. What is your description of what happened with those tweets, and what are your thoughts on the topic today? Well, well, I think it was uh, when I tweeted that. I I think a lot of people took it out of context. I just and said um, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, and and and, and it was a couple more tweets. Uh, but anybody who knows me knows that I respect everybody that I come into contact with. I never disrespect nobody. Um, I never uh, belittle anybody, et cetera, et cetera. And I think just, it was just overblown. And it was something new as well. It was something new that they can grasp on um, and talk about. But, you know, I, I, I don't know if people know, but I, I like politics. Uh, I look at politics a lot and I study politics and I, and, you know, I, of course I'm not a Democrat or Republican, uh, uh, but I love politics. And 
it was just, uh, in my opinion, a situation where uh, it was just taken all out of context, all out of context. Because if you, it, it, my tweets before, it was about supporting everybody, supporting, you know, respecting everybody. So they missed that and just cling to that, you know. So, and, and, and I get it. It makes for a good story, but. All in all, people know that I'm a I'm a uh, clean cut. Uh, I, I try to stay in my own lane. I try to not uh, get in nobody's business. I don't care well nothing about nothing nobody does. Um, I'm for honesty. I'm for truth. And you know, a lot of people try to uh, make a big thing, make a mo mohill out of something or whatever. But <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> But hey, it happens, man. And I have no hard feelings with, with nobody. I, I, I'm a, I, I love everybody. So basically, although what you were saying at that time, at least, was you personally right. maybe don't agree with uh, some homosexual things to yourself necessarily, but that doesn't mean that you you're advocating for being mean to gay people or even that you wouldn't want to be around a gay person necessarily. You, you don't hate gay people. You just necessarily for that. The context of that conversation on Twitter, you those were your thoughts. Yes. Yeah, and and uh, like I like I said, I'm a I'm a believer in God. I love God and you know what people do with their time is on them. Uh, I I know what I, what I, what I stand for and I know that I love everybody. So, you know, that's just, you know, like I said, people would try to make this some small like this out of into a big a deal. bomb. Okay. Out of bomb. And, you know, so, uh, like I said, I love everybody. Okay. Now, Devin, you mentioned that you do enjoy politics. You would not classify yeah. yourself as a Democrat or a Republican. That's kind of a, like a low-hanging fruit for me. How would you describe yourself politically? <laughs> What's that mean? Uh, What's that mean? I, I, I'm a truth seeker. Truth seeker. Like, I, I, labels. Like, labels. I'm not, I'm not good with labels because that puts you in a box. That puts you in a box where you can't, jump outside the box and, and agree with that person like today if if a, if, if a democrat says something good you can't agree with them because you're a republican if republicans say something good you can't agree with them because you are a democrat that's why i'm a truth seeker i go with truth i do not care who says it i don't care who who what party they're affiliated with if it's the truth if I know that color is blue or if my my jacket is black and you're trying to argue it's red, I'm gonna go with the truth every day, all day. And that's what I that's what I mean by, you know, um, I'm not a Democrat or Republican. Because everybody has flaws. Everybody has flaws. Everybody has um, you know, uh things that somebody's not gonna like, you know, and me, I'm just I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a traditional guy too. I'm a traditional guy. Um, how long you been love my family? Yeah, how long have you been with your wife? Uh, ten years. Okay, and y'all have ten some years. kids. Yes, five, five. Yes. You and your wife have five kids. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes, yes we do, man. We got a big family, and we are. They're all close. They are all all. They are correct. And, and you. They are all. They are all close, and. 
you know, I try to keep them close and and love each other. Because uh, like I told you, I, I grew up in a big family. Eight sisters, five brothers. We grew up very poor, very unfortunate. Um, but we had each other. We was close. We all was close. All, um, you know, shared everything. Clothes, shoes. We all shared everything. So uh, what I try to teach my kids is to love each other. So, Devin, it sounds to me like at this at this point of your life, the thing you're most concerned with is giving back and trying to help. Not, of course, your immediate family, your wife and your five kids, but also Uh uh, you said you've got what was it a giveaway at the gym coming up? You were truly devoted to uh, uh, passing on and and maybe even inspiring people because of like the the, the realness of your story. You're overcoming the pain pill addiction. I think that's very real and it can impact many people possibly, but you want to positively give back as best you can and influence as many people as possible. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I mean, because, because I'm sorry about the voice, but what, 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 uh, what Devin, if you want to ask what Devin Alexander love is to inspire, I think that's what God put me in a position to uh, be three-time world champion, to um, grow up the way I grew up. You know, in, in my opinion, I believe he he put me in a position to inspire. Why would I not inspire people when he gave me a platform to do so? I think, in my opinion, it's so selfish to keep it all bottled up and not help nobody. That is just counter counterintuitive to not help somebody when you know you've been helped, blessed, you've been able to um, travel the world, do all these types of things. So you're supposed to go back, in my opinion, go back and help those kids that need the help that they need. Because, you know, where I grew up, they're dying. Uh, kids are killing each other, um, um, single family homes, growing up around drugs. It's, it's all the same thing that how I grew up. And I want to be able to to go down there and and pick somebody up and try to show them a different light. Um, because most of the people that grew up around poverty don't see success. They don't know what success is. Uh, they're a product of their environment and they don't think they can make it. They don't see nothing else but that. You know, most kids that grow up in poverty do not think they can make a million dollars, do not think they can make it. And I promise you, that's how it is. And to have somebody like me, they know that came from the same streets as them, come from the same um, area um been there you know when i when i when i talk about how i grew up how how i used to go to school with holes in my pants when i when i tell them how how dirty my shirts were when i tell them how how my shoes used to be talking literally talking my shoes used to be like so raggedy i had to stuff newspaper in them to keep me to keep my feet from getting um cold so uh, so to, you cannot i in my opinion that that i went through all that inspires them that that they like you were what no way because i know they 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 hear me saying that 
and they're going through the same thing. I promise you, they're they they not eating some nights. Some nights they're not uh, uh, don't have any food. Some nights they they I mean some day they go to school and uh, they got dirty clothes on or, or somebody's talking about it because they stink or they got holes in their pants or any story that I say or I try to tell them, I promise you, somebody at that school is relating to it and it's helping them. Like trade, it's helping them. I love it. Um, Devin, I know this is what you're devoted your life to. Um, are you currently, co- are you a boxing coach? Not yet, not yet. But I am going to have my gym. Ultimately, I want to do a rec center. I, I do want to do a rec center because that, a rec center is what help me as well. Now, a rec, a rec center is what, what help me as well. Uh, being able to go somewhere where you can have fun or get some food or, because that's important. A lot of these kids don't have food. They don't have food at home. So when they come to these rec centers and they got food, those kids are excited. That touches them. That touches them a lot. And I've seen it. I've seen it time and time again. And really, I want to do a rec center, to be honest. Um, that, that's one of my goals, to open up rec center. So, so kids can just come have a ball, enjoy themselves, not being on the streets, not, not um, you know, being in the game, not getting recruited in games, et cetera. Just in, come in there, enjoy themselves, and go home and, and tell people you guys to have fun at the rec center, you know, and keeping them safe. I love it. Devin, are you currently training much right now? Yes, I, I I'm only training. Uh, I got uh, I, I I don't know uh, yet uh, about the decision I'm going to make for fighting or whatever. But I I'll make the decision in a couple of few months or so. Okay, so even if you knew you weren't going to fight, you decide not to fight anymore. You're like my my pro career's over. Will you then continue training? Absolutely. Uh, you have to. You have that. That is so important. That is so important because of the health aspect of it. The health, you know, I always thought that, you know, just because you stop fighting, you don't, you don't stop training. That's something you don't do ever because of the health aspect of it. Have you ever gained like, you know, Marcos Maidana, for example, he famously kind of blew up, gained some weight. Has that ever happened to you? Which is crazy, man. Did you see how big he was? He had to be Every bit of 200 pounds. That's crazy. That, oh, no, I have never did that, my man. I never did that. What's the, what's the, no most, what's the most you've ever weighed, Devin? The most I've ever weighed was 170. Oh, wow. 171, maybe. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, you have, yeah. Not, have not blown up. Oh, no. No word. Wait one moment, Devin. I'm... I think that causes Gaining all that weight like that caused a lot of problems, a lot of health problems. So I'm very conscious of that. I'm very conscious of that. Okay. Well, Devin, I really appreciate you joining me for the show today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Absolutely. If someone is interested in supporting you and they, they want to... You know, I interviewed Steve Cunningham a couple years ago, and then I, you know, a couple people were able to order order sweatshirts from him. So if someone wants to support you, they want to support what you're doing, how can they do that? Oh, man, you you guys can follow me on. If you want to support the brand or Alexander the Great Brand, you can always go to Instagram, which is C Alexander one 
on Instagram, or you can um, go to Facebook as Devin Alexander, and Twitter uh, is the real Devin A on there. And I have I have Linktree on there, and you guys, I got a, a apparel store and you know other things. Um, but kind of like I don't like people to um, I don't like to ask people to 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 buy anything, you know, because. You know, I like to give more than I than I receive. So, but I know I got I got to do it sometime. But I like to give more than I receive. So, okay, kind of hard to do to ask, ask people to go by. And it toward, know, so. toward the beginning, you mentioned you have like a an event coming up at a, at a local. Is it a gym? What's the event you have coming up? Yes, uh, I got a uh, my second annual giveaway. I did a giveaway. At the gym that we were talking about, High Park, um, where I grew up, it was so funny. It was so amazing that when I first started running that park, I was very poor, very poor, very less than, didn't have money, didn't have nothing. And now I'm able to go back and give back to that neighborhood, which is, is an amazing feeling. And kind of weird at the same time because how time has came by and it went that fast, you know, kind of crazy, kind of crazy how time has flown, and now I'm able to give back to the, to, the, to how it all, give back to where it all started from. It's an amazing feeling. I love it. Well, Devin Alexander, I appreciate your time. I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you very much. Absolutely, my man. Thank you, Patrick. Good luck on your future endeavors, my friend. Same to you. Thank you. Okay. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to The Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon. 